this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work again. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of, you know, $500,000 to in debt. $192 million. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host, John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by Prescore. What on earth is a Prescore? Pre stands for personal readiness to exit your company. And here we're looking to evaluate how personally ready you are to leave your company. You know, when you go to sell a business to have a successful exit and look back on it without regret, you need two things. Number one, a company that is attractive to an acquirer, to a company that's built to sell. And number two, you personally need to be ready to exit that business. We found that there are four drivers of a happy and lucrative exit, four ways you can personally ready yourself to exit your business. And by completing your pre-score, you are going to see how you're performing against those four major drivers of a happy and lucrative exit. Just go to pre score.com. Have you ever wondered what your sales team is worth? It turns out it might be worth quite a bit. <laughs> My next guest, Mark Deutschman, sold his real estate brokerage firm, 350 salespeople, $30 million in revenue. But in essence, he didn't have a lot of hard assets. He did have some real estate sitting underneath his company, but essentially what he was selling, selling was a profit stream generated by a group of salespeople that he managed. In fact, he thought of his salespeople, as he will tell you, as his customers. He ended up selling the company for $9.75 million. So I guess your salespeople are valuable in the end. Um, here to tell you his story is Mark Deutschman. Mark Deutschman, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Thank you for having me. You're like the king of Nashville. <laughs> the king of Nashville. Where did you get that? I don't know. <laughs> You've sold like a million dollars worth of property in Nashville, so yeah. you must be uh, close to the king. But but you are in 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 effect the the founder of Village Real Estate, which is I think <laughs> the biggest agency in Nashville. Certainly, sort of put Nashville on the map in a way. Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest locally owned companies in the city. Um, and I would say that we are more urban than most, meaning that we focused on the urban core and all of the ring neighborhoods in Nashville. Uh, I started the company 22 years ago when Nashville was a hollow shell of what it is today. Well, I was going to say it's just incredible growth in that city. Um, I was down for a conference maybe six months ago, and it's just it's just amazing how much it's evolved. And so you had a, a uh, residential um, real estate brokerage, which, as I understand, is great because everybody will immediately understand what you do, right? Because most of us have bought or sold a home uh, or you know interacted in some way with a real estate agent, so could kind of pretty quickly get the business model. Was there? Uh, was there anything unique? I'm sure there were many things, but from the business model perspective of your brokerage? I would say that from the very beginning, again, we were more urban than most. Mm -hmm. And Nashville didn't really have um, any housing downtown when we started. And so as the zoning code shifted and it began to allow for housing in the core, we shifted and created something that we called our multifamily residential sales strategy. And we focused on selling projects for developers. 
Ah, so we'd right. sell big condo projects in the Gulch downtown in some of the emerging ring neighborhoods and still do that today. Um, in fact, many of the great agents at Village are very good at working with developers. So you'd get, you'd get a, a developer and, and let's say they had 100 units in their condo, you'd, you'd get the contract to basically sell all those. Correct. That yes. Create volume. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And so just give me the economics. I've always been curious, you know, I pay, we just sold a home in Toronto actually. Uh, and I think we paid, I want to say it was 5% to the agent, the selling agent. I don't know if that's standard or not, or we got ripped off, but I think that's what we paid mm -hmm. something in, in that sort of ballpark. Um, Give me the breakdown. So what proportion of that does the real estate, my selling agent keep? How much do you keep as the broker who employs the agent? So just realize that the, my customer at Village Real Estate Services was actually the real estate agent. Mm. And so the agent goes out and engages with a customer who hires them to sell the home. And let's say they list the home for 6%. Um, you might have a buyer broker come in with another you know, with somebody who's outside of the listing transaction and bring a buyer and that agent would receive 3% of the transaction, our firm would receive 3%. And then we have a pre-negotiated commission with our agents based on their productivity. The more they sell, the higher their commission split is. And, you know, generally they might start out at 70-30. So they keep 70% and we keep 30% of that revenue stream. But as they progress, they might even cap, meaning that if they sell enough real estate, then they're essentially paying no more to the firm. They're keeping all of it. So we also would charge our agents essentially a transaction fee. So for every transaction, they would pay $100 or maybe $150 or $200, depending upon what services we offer. So we get a share of the commission. We get a processing fee per transaction. And, you know, just put it in perspective, Village sold over a billion dollars of real estate back in 2018 and 2017, I believe. Um, and yet the gross commission income to the firm was perhaps just under $30 million. And so you can see that the, you know, from the gross transaction to the gross commission to what we end up keeping, it becomes a fraction of the total real estate sales. So it might seem like I'm king, but when you really realize coming back to the company, I'm a pauper. You're king to me. You'll always be king in Nashville to me. Okay. So a billion dollars of, uh, of real estate sold nets out to, to revenue, gross revenue for the brokerage of ballpark 30 million. Correct. Yes. That's helpful. Okay. And, and what was the trigger that made you want to sell? Was there some sort of event that sure. made you think, okay, this is, no, it was sort of a series of things. Nashville becoming its city, you know, we've become increasingly popular as a city. And I've started to see some of the national and international firms coming into our marketplace. Mm -hmm. And there's, there are companies that have a different model that are even more agent-centric than ours. And there's one particular firm that has the backing of Silicon Valley that seems to be more of a technology play. And they started coming in and recruiting agents and paying them pretty um, ridiculous commission splits, in my opinion, meaning that they were giving the show away, possibly because it was a loss leader for them to come in and attract some of the big agents and set the stage for a market share in the town. Hmm. So that was disruptive. 
2018 and a little less fun as not just my real estate company, but other real estate companies saw an exit of some of some good agents. And yet I was always proud that we were, you know, locally owned and community facing. Um, we celebrated 22 years in business in December of 2018. And we had 450 of our agents and their guests and some of our community partners at the event. And it was really wonderful. It was, you know, I was very proud of the group and excited that we could gather in that way. And yet at that moment, I didn't have any idea that I was going to sell the company. And this is December of 2018. So you asked for a trigger. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> the trigger was that I learned that one of my agents and five former agents were planning on starting their own firm. And so I called the agent in and I said, David, what are you doing? And he said, well, I want to be like you. You know, I've watched you grow this company and it's so exciting and I love being a real estate agent and all these people came up through the company and they're all my friends and they're all great and we're going to start a company. And I said, why don't you just buy in the village? And he said, I didn't know that was an option. And less than an hour later, we set an appointment and I sat down with the group and they said to me, well, we'd want to buy a majority of the company. And I said, okay. And we'd like to buy the main office. And I said, fine. And, um, Literally, I received an offer the next day. Wow. So are you at this time um, working kind of full-time in, in the business when David, David was the name of the agent still working for you? That's correct, yes. When David approached you, were you sort of going into nine to five and very much as sort of a, an active owner or were you sort of a little bit distant? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to say that I, I, I have another business called Core Development, which I started in 2003. And then I have my own personal sales team that I started in 2005. And then I have a holdings company that, you know, started originally with the company, but I was still the CEO of Village and we had 350 agents and staff. So we had a lot of people that I was responsible for. But I say that I probably split my time 33% Village and my team and then 33% Core, my development company. And then 33% I was doing community service. So I, I, I call myself a community builder and I always put a lot of time into the community. And I want to talk about um, the new book as well in a, in a moment. I'm wondering though, with regards to, to, cause I think a lot of entrepreneurs reach this point. Uh, I, maybe I'll, I'll ask it as, as advice. <clears throat> A lot of entrepreneurs, in particular ones that are sort of focusing on some of the stuff we talk about, building value, you know, et cetera, they get to a point where they can afford uh, to, to focus on some other stuff. Maybe their company only needs them 10, 20, 30 hours a week. And so they get involved in other projects. They start other businesses. They're involved in philanthropy. They're, they're traveling. They're doing fun stuff. They maybe they, you know, spend some of the fruits of their labor and they, they, they buy a fancy car. And, and all of a sudden, <laughs> employees start to go, oh, hold on a second, we're doing all the work. <laughs> Mark seems to be cashing a lot of checks. Um, I, I want a piece of that. Did, did that happen? It sounds like with David that that happened a little bit. Um, was it that he envied the lifestyle, the variety? What, what was it that you think he envied and what you were doing at the time? You know, I think agents, you know, if you... I remember Bobby Noreen, she was my broker for years. She said, it's not, it's not 
if they're going to leave, it's when they're going to leave. Hmm. And so agents do move around. And so David is not the first person who's gone off and started his own company. There right. are hundreds of agents here in the city of Nashville that have come in and trained at our firm and, you know, where they've gone off and either started their own show or started a division of another company or did something else. So we have, it's, there is a place where um, people come and go. I do think you're right though. I mean, I did have it down. I feel like in 2017, I had it down to a nice science and I had a great exec team and my, my, you know, I, we'd have one executive meeting every, every week. And that was my main role. And then I was, you know, I'd come in and help. I wasn't even leading sales meetings. You know, I was, I had, I had gradually given up. I'd originally been the broker when there was just three of us. And then I grew to a place where I had a broker and then later on I had a broker team and then I have an exec team that I was managing and I was able to continue to delegate most of the functions, even the recruiting function um, out to others. And yet still, you, you know, when things are difficult, like it became when some of these companies were coming in from out of town, it requires more focus and you still have to come in and try to, you know, steer the ship in the right direction. And so, uh, sometimes I don't, I'm not sure if I was the right person anymore. It was time for me to let somebody else take that role. So hence the sale. What advice would you have for a fellow <laughs> entrepreneur who, 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 who wants to make sure that he, he doesn't get held hostage or she doesn't get held hostage by her, her, his or her employees who say, we're doing all the work, you're off gallivanting around, <laughs> we, you know, uh, we want a cut. What, like, could you provide any sort of advice for someone who is trying to make sure that that didn't happen to them? Well, you, typically an agent will come in and want to negotiate their commissions and tend to want to go higher on their commissions if they feel like something's happening or if they feel like they're giving more. And you have to be careful about giving you know, special treatment to a few, because if you start giving special treatment to a few, they say they're not going to tell, but the word gets out and next thing you know, you're giving special treatment to everyone. So we had to be careful about that. And sometimes when people feel that way, you just have to let them go. You know, there's yeah. times where, well, I guess it's not a fit for us anymore. If you think that you can do better somewhere else. Um, I'm sorry to say that, but that's sometimes true. Yeah, absolutely. Was there part of you when David came into your office and said, look, we're, we, I'm going to start a, a brokerage. Um, was there any part of you that felt sort of stabbed in the back that here's this guy who you've trained and co you know, coached along and, and, and there he goes out the door and wants to compete with you. Did you feel a sense of betrayal? I guess is my question. Well, it's not David necessarily, but there's, there's been, you know, David and a hundred others have sometimes done that where you feel like you've trained them up and given them your best. And then next thing you know, they're your competitors. Yeah. So, and you have to be, you have to let a lot of that go. Otherwise you'd just be, uh, you know, a grumpy old man. <laughs> <laughs> How did you let it go? Cause I don't think, I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be very good at it. Not very good at it. <laughs> I, did, I'm doing better now because I've sold the company. Like yeah. all, all of the former agents that I know are, you know, they're back in my circles and I can talk to them about different things and just, just say, Hey, isn't it great? But there is a place where once they've gone, it's like, bye-bye, don't let the door hit you. And I don't really communicate with them. So there was a place where I didn't do it so well either. 
Um, and yet, you know, I grew up and started selling houses and I moved around through several companies before I started Village. And I was a very top agent in the selling community. And I'm sure people felt the same way about me when I left and either went to another company or started a new company. And I just think that's the way it goes in business. Yeah, for sure. Let's get back into the sales. So, uh, David and the other five former agents, that, former uh, colleagues uh, came to you and said, uh, you know, we're looking starting. You said, let's, uh, why don't you buy Village? Uh, where did it go from there? Did, did they come up with an offer? Did you suggest a price? What, what was the next step? You know, actually, it's a really smart group. And, you know, I've ended up keeping 10% of the company, by the way. So I still own a piece of Village. And I know all these people quite well because I've, I've literally trained them all. You know, I'd, yeah. I brought some people up to sell some of the multifamily residential. Two of them I had actually brought in through core development company and trained them to be significant developers. And they're very smart and they understand numbers. When I gave them the financials, um, they came up and made the offer. Um, so I didn't coach them on the offer. They just made an offer. And, uh, and, and so you guys, you guys were, were 30 million in revenue, kind of roughly profit margin on that. What would you have been netting on that? Um, you know, it could be anywhere from a million to 2 million, you know, depending upon the year, sometimes yeah. better than others. Um, just. It's, and so they came up with an offer. What was their original offer? It was approximately $8 million. Okay. So they, there's, uh, and, and roughly what was, so that would have been, uh, I guess the year you sold the year prior, the Silicon Valley company was starting to nibble away at, at some of the agents. Yeah. And it was not a good year. 2018, 2018 was not a good revenue year for us. Okay. So we were in, I would say somewhat of a weakened space. So, so and I'll just tell you, we ended up selling the company plus the building was housed in for 9.75. So they made the original offer, which I actually considered reasonably fair. And then we ended up um, negotiating the sale and closed out at 9.75. And um, what, would, what did you think the real estate itself was worth of the 9.7 mile? What was the market rate market value? Probably three, three to four ish somewhere in there. Okay. So they, uh, so then the, the incremental, they were also buying the profit stream associated with the company. Sure. So actually, I mean, I felt like in, in truth, I felt like their offer on the building was a little high and their offer on the brokerage was a little low, but the blended number in the end turned it out, turned out to be better than my expectations. And Mark, did they separate it out like that? Did they say we're gonna we're gonna pay X for the building and Y for the profit stream, or was it just? Yeah, but sort of not, because in the end, what they're doing is they're putting, like they're letting, like I'm an owner in the new company, and I own 10% of the company, but I also own a piece of the building too. So it turned out to be, a, you know, a sale as a package. And now they've actually started selling pieces of the company to some of the top agents. So they're building in some loyalty and they're selling the same thing. So they're selling a piece of the company with building. So the people are not just buying a brokerage stream. They're starting to get some assets. And actually subsequently, I'm, I have another office that I'd kept. Um, you know, now I'm selling that to them as well. And I think huh. that into the mix of ownership 
I even have a third office that has village agents and I may sell that to them as well. So just the fun thing about all this is that because when I sold the brokerage, um, it just made me feel like selling stuff. And I have a whole bunch of assets and I've just been selling stuff. So I've, it's opened up the floodgates. Now I've been selling land, selling some buildings in old neighborhood commercial districts. I'm just like, Hey, this is fun. I like selling stuff. <laughs> You've been selling stuff all your life. I know, but now I'm selling stuff. <laughs> you and know now you're selling your own stuff. Yeah. I'm selling my own stuff. How, how did you get the <clears throat> offer from eight to 9.75? Um, so I'm just going to tell you a little story. I was, um, I had just celebrated my 22nd year in business and we had a big celebration party in December of 2018 and 450 of my agents and their, their significant others and some community members were at a big party and, you know, we, we had great entertainment. We were celebrating, there was dancing and I was so proud of every, everybody and what we were doing. And then here, you know, a week later I'm sitting talking to David and, then the whole group of them about selling the company. But I was leaving the day we sat down and started talking about selling. I had planned a trip to go shark diving with some of my entrepreneurial friends from the entrepreneur organization. And we were heading to Guadalupe, which is a remote Island off the coast of Mexico. And I climbed on a plane on Saturday morning to fly out to San Diego to jump on the boat. And I got the offer while I was on the plane. And I had to get to San Diego. And before we went out to sea, I had to scramble to find a satellite phone to make sure that I could communicate. I was able to get my executive team, really just two people, and pull in my business broker, Mike Nolan, into the room and said, okay, you know, in confidence, I have an offer and we're going to have these conversations and I've got a satellite phone. Um, and then we jumped on the boat and I went out to sea. It was 18 hours to go to Guadalupe. And but when we got out there, I realized that the satellite phone didn't work. Oh no! And it was two days into the trip, and I'm sitting there with my entrepreneur friend saying, "Oh my God, I've got an offer on the company, and I can't communicate." And <laughs> I love it. And the captain heard me, and he said, "Hey, I've got a satellite phone up in the bridge." And I was like, "Oh my God!" And we went up to the bridge, and he says, "You take the helm," and he left. And I called everybody, and they were panicked. They're like, Mark, these guys are going to start their own company if you can't get them a counteroffer. And they had, to do, they had to do something really quick. So I gave them the counteroffer, and they accepted it, just like that. They had to act quick. They took the counteroffer. It was just the details that we had to negotiate. And by the time I got back from diving with the Great White Sharks six days later, I had sold the company. Oh, wow. That's incredible. How did you come up with the 9.75 figure? Like what was your justification or your case for the higher number? I hope they're not listening, but I always feel like when people negotiate, you know, if you accept something, then they'll feel like they pay too much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just countered thinking that we'd negotiate a little bit more, but Time was of the essence and they accepted. Why? Now, I understand why time was of the essence for you because this ticking time bomb of them going off and doing their own thing. Why, why was it so important for them to get the deal done so quickly? So two of, the, two of the agents had left me maybe seven years ago and they started a new office down in the Gulch and they had 100 agents they're working with and they hoped to recruit some to the new firm. 
and they were in a position where they were already talking to agents about this new firm. And, you know, a lot of agents were talking about coming, but they had it, you know, they needed to announce, you know, they needed to make an announcement because they were, they had already resigned from being the brokers and owners of this other firm. And if we didn't start, if they didn't buy village, then they had to go and announce the new firm. So it was time of the essence for them. There, there was only a short window for them to try to purchase this company. Got it. Got it. You know, it sounds like a, a Hollywood script, uh, you know, a fairy tale. If, if you could do it, rewind the clock and, and do it all again, uh, back to 2018 when you're having that celebration with all your colleagues and former colleagues and spouses, uh, you know, before the transaction really started to, to accelerate, is there anything you'd do differently if you had it to do over again? <laughs> well, no, because literally I'd been um, thinking, you know, I, I'm having a little more fun with my other companies with core development and village holdings and uh, my own personal sales team and community work. And there was a place where I was sort of weary of running the company mm-hmm. and I had devised a plan to give it away. So I was actually thinking of giving the company to my agents and staff. And okay, now, you, now you got to tell them to stop listening. Go make a coffee. <laughs> I know that's what my wife said. She thinks she said you're crazy. You can't give it away. You've been, but I really had literally been thinking about giving it away, and I had a I had a full on strategy to do it. But the problem with giving it away is that I would have had to manage all the way through that process, and it wasn't that easy of a process. And so the choice between giving it away and staying in management and or selling it, uh, it was pretty apparent that the sale offer was the way to go. What were the circumstances around you retaining 10% of village? Uh, I think they, you know, they know that I, I am a, my team is one of the top teams in the city. So I still sell a lot of real estate with my team. And I think they wanted me to stay in the company. I'm the chair emeritus now. So I have a title where I can walk around in the company. I have my own office up here. I can give unsolicited advice that nobody has to listen to, (laughs) which is wonderful, but people still like to see me out and talk to me about real estate. And, you know, I, I, I still am needed to some degree, but I'm not in charge. They wanted to keep me. So they offered the 10%. Got it. That's helpful for sure. How has having this liquidity that I think on a net basis, uh, you know, 9.75, mo- a lot yeah, of money. Some debt on the building. It's six something. So, I mean, yeah. I ended up with six something. Yeah. How has this additional liquidity? And I, again, I don't know your full financial picture, but I'm assuming this is a lot of money. It is a lot of money, no matter what, what uh, way you slice it. How, how has that impacted your, your life? Um, so my wife, Sherry, you know, we both sort of grew our companies since we, we, we're, we're 11 years married and we met probably 14 years ago. And since the time we were dating, she had started a company called Letter Logic, and we were at about the same place and size of company. And so one of the really great things about our relationship is that we're entrepreneurs. We came home and we talked about each other's businesses and knew the insides and outs. Well, she sold her business in 2017. And so she had exited and she brought some, you know, chips home and had her own entrepreneurial experience. Well, what this did for me is create some balance. <laughs> I'll take some chips off the table. And now we're a little more balanced on the home front. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the most honest answer I've ever heard to that question. That's awesome. 
all of a sudden you're not like out outnumbered. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, Mark, can you take out the garbage? Can you hang that wallpaper? The toilet's running in the third bedroom. Yeah. Can you get that fixed? <laughs> Hold on yeah. a second, honey. <laughs> yeah, it looks really good on paper, honey. Can you bring some of that home? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I hope things are now a little more balanced on the home front. Yeah. They are. <laughs> That's great. Um, talk, tell me a little bit. I, I don't want to... Uh, Thank you for sharing the story. I don't want to let you go without talking about One Mile Radius. Um, tell me about the book, what inspired it, what's it about, et cetera. Well, One Mile Radius is a story about um, sort of the evolution of Nashville's real estate over 30 years from um, a real estate entrepreneur's perspective. And again, since I was quite involved in the evolution of the urban core and then quite involved in helping to work you know, create walkability in the ring neighborhoods in Nashville. I am quite well known in the city as somebody who's a community builder. I've been the president of Greenways for Nashville for six years. I just stepped down as the chair of the Urban Land Institute, our local chapter. I've been on the Civic Design Center. I've, things that are involved in smart growth and community are things that I like to be a champion for. And so One Mile Radius is the story of the evolution of these neighborhoods, but it also talks about, you know, building out the greenway system and urban parks and smart growth initiatives and, um, you know, retrofitting homes for energy savings and helping seniors age in place. It has a lot of different stories about hmm. things that we've done in the city to help create, you know, better fabric in our urban core. And so I, I wrote the book, it launched in 2017 and, um, it's been fun for me to get out and about and talk to civic groups and use it as a tool really to help promote some of the causes that I think need to be um, realized to make Nashville even better in the future. And, and, and prove somewhat of a model for other cities as well that want to go through this. I same. think so. I think there, you know, we're, we're not, we're not ahead of all the cities in, in the United States, but there's a lot of cities that, um, you know, could learn lessons from what we've done. Yeah. So it's one mile radius and, and people, I'm assuming you can get it on Amazon and sort of wherever yeah. good books are sold. Uh, next question. How come you couldn't keep PK Subban in town? Oh no, I guess the, you know, we didn't win the Stanley cup. And so they have to make <laughs> well, changes. These are important priorities. You got to keep PK. <laughs> I, I know. I think they made some pretty good trades though. I think we'll have a good team again this year. Uh, I'm sure they will. It's on my list, my bucket list to see the Predators live. So I'll have to do that. Mark, it was great to meet you. Thank you for your candor and um, your story. It's amazing. A lot, I know a lot, of, a lot of entrepreneurs will be helped by it. So thank you do, for doing it. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at Facebook.com slash Built to Sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. -L 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 Thanks for listening.